What do you really, really want in the year 2020? It's our first series, and hopefully you'll forgive me for this. This is a series that will give us clarity. Anybody? 2020 vision? Clarity. Man, way too early, my bad, way too early. All right, here's what we know. Here's what we know. We know that we want, right? We all, we all want, and we've probably discovered that as we've grown older, our wants have changed, right? Early on, there were a whole bunch of things, and we figured out that things break, things rust, things get destroyed, little brothers break things. So then as we got a little older, we started looking for a little bit more mature things. They're called people, and we started, we started like wishing for good relationships, right? And, and even states of mind, right? Uh, peace and joy. Um, so our, our wants, they're still there. They're, they're still there. They haven't dissipated at all, but, but they, they change. They change over time. Um, but the I wants will will always dog us, whether you're young or old, believer, non-believer, religious or non-religious, the I wants, they're going to dog you. So until you get a grip on those I wants, they will torture you. They will mock you, right? I have a gift certificate sitting on my dresser and it mocks me every morning. It's a golf gift certificate to Crown Point, Columbia Point, something like that, to golf. But my back's been kind of jacked up. And so it mocks me every morning. It says, you can't play golf. You lose. I want Anyway, I got distracted there. Um, Here's what we know. Uh, Three things that we discovered last week. Um, I know what you want. You didn't have to raise your hand. I know what you want. The first thing that you want is you want your way. Anyone disagree with that? (laughs) Good. Keep your hands down. I don't believe you. You want your way, but eventually you lose your way by getting your way, right? We kind of short-circuit our our joy by reaching and grabbing for anything that comes along. Um, You want to do what you want to do, um, but it ends up, if you do what you want to do all the time, you're going to end up um, where you don't want to be. You're going to end up in the wrong place. And you want what you want, and you want to do what you want, and you want to do it now. But what we want now is not always the same as, or it gets in the way of, what we want later. We've all undermined our own future, our own hopes, our own dreams, because we got what we wanted now. Right? We, we got it. We didn't really think about it, didn't think about the consequences, but, but we got it. And now we have what's called regret. Additionally, so we find out through experience that getting what we want can be a problem if we're not careful. And then James reminds us that not getting what we want is a problem too. So here's where we concluded. Most of us don't really know what we value because we're so distracted by what we want right now. And that's just our human condition. We have immediate needs and we want them now. We learned that when we were one year old and you start screaming, I'm hungry and mom feeds you. That, that's That's the way it works. And as we grow older, we kind of expect God to do that. If we scream, God, fix my issue, fix my problem. And we continue to scream. And we don't really think about the long term, what, what's, what's further down the road. We're so consumed by our own immediate desires, our own immediate needs, and we're so consumed by the media who reminds us that they can provide for our immediate needs and our, and our wants. Um, but as we all find out eventually, that just doesn't pan out. Um, Our immediate needs fail to deliver more often than not. Um, We do need to spend some time and some energy, some emotional energy to discover these underlying things that I was talking about earlier that our culture wants to push to the periphery, push to the the shadows of our lives. Um, Things like grace and forgiveness and mercy. Um, Here's the bottom line. I, as a youth pastor, I would tell parents... And they're debating, well, do I want to spend all the money and send them to Point Loma or NNU, or do I want to save a buck and send them to state? 
And I say, well, you got two choices. If you send them to state, everything that your kid truly needs, what's valuable and what's important, they'll have to search for. It will be well hidden, right? Because the things that are marketable aren't the things that are valuable, right? You can't market forgiveness and grace and mercy. How are you going to sell that? But you can, you can sell a car that you can convince somebody that you'll be happy if you buy this car. That's marketable. But really the long-term important stuff, you really, our culture isn't really equipped to help us find those really valuable, really, really um, important things. And, and, and again, I say that they're lurking in the background um, because again, our, our culture isn't going to help you. This is something that you're going to have to do on your own. You're going to have to find out what is valuable to you. And probably more important as a believer of Jesus Christ, we need to find out what's invaluable to God. That will become valuable to us. See, we're not left on our own to decide what's valuable. And as we're going to find out, that's disaster. We need God's help in deciding what is truly valuable and what's truly important. Left to ourselves, we're going to come up with some crazy, crazy, crazy answers. Here's the bottom line for everybody, Christian or not. We'll never get what we really want until we discover what's most valuable. So let's talk about the distraction of what we want that gets in the way of what we really, really, really want, what we truly value. And here's the big part of the problem. For saints and sinners alike, we're all in the same boat. Hit that next slide there. Choosing valuable just is unnatural. It doesn't feel easy, right? It doesn't come to mind right away. It's just, it, it's, it, we, we, we want to we tackle our addictions. We want to start new habits in this new year. We want all these, these, these things. And we, and we believe that if we just have just the right enough information, maybe some new information, if we just had more self-discipline, if we just had more, uh, uh, everything would be, we, it would work. We would be able to get what we want. We'd be able to stop doing what we don't want to do. But experience tells us that's just not the way it works. I mean, it's the way we want it to work, but it, it just doesn't work that way. Um, the issue is much deeper than simply more information and more discipline. What I want to share with you this morning is something you don't want to hear, but y'all are fundamentally broken. And until we kind of accept that fact, we are going to struggle. No, I can, I can, I can, I can do this. I just got to try harder. No, you're broken. <laughs> broken toys can try all they want, but they never work the same. I said you're broken, but I'm broken too. Right? Remember last week, the finger thing, right? I'm broken too. What comes natural is more often than not really what is the valuable thing. Sin is like that. It's very, very deceptive. And we're going to kind of talk about that deception of sin this morning. Um, most people, they'll never break through the unnatural to embrace the valuable. But I promise you, you'll, you'll see some people. You'll meet people like this here in this building right here. When you finally break through what feels unnatural and you arrive at what's valuable, your life will radically change. These habits of yours that you fought, you're going to get a leg up on them. You're going to get victory. That's what we have in store for you this morning, right? So you need to be excited. This is going to be an amazing, an amazing morning. Uh, Paul, a guy named Paul, best described our dilemma in a letter that he wrote to the church at Rome. Now, for some of you, and maybe for some of your friends, this could be your life first. You know, Christians do that weird thing. We, write, we, we pick one verse out of the entire Bible and say, that's my... That's the summation of my faith, this one verse. So some of you, this is your verse right here. Maybe it's your friend's verse. Anybody? 
That's your life verse. I don't understand what I do. I'm just like, you know what? I try to do this and I end up doing that or I want to do that and I end up doing this over here. And we, we've all experienced this. I'm, I, I'm going to guess wildly that every person in this room has experienced this. You've told yourself, you've looked in the mirror and you've said, you idiot, why did you choose that? Why did you buy that? Why did you date him? Right? You've all done it. You've, you've done it. You just have to just, just admit it. This is church. Don't lie. Get a lightning bolt, man. This is the, this is the place where a lightning bolt, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen here. Why did, why, why did you go in business with that guy? You knew he was a snake, but you thought, oh, but man, I'll, I'll come through unscathed. Think about it. Why can't I do what I want to do? Why can't you do what you want to do? We're human beings. We have brains. Why can't, why, why can't we just do what we want to do? Even if we've decided it is valuable. Inevitably, we end up doing something else. We end up doing something that we, that we don't even like. Paul's going to explain that in just a little bit. So what's, what's wrong with us? What's, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? Paul continues, this is in verse 15. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate to do. There's things I really, really, really want, he's saying, but I settle for the less every time it comes by. I know I want something that's going to take a lot of effort, but then this little thing comes by and says, oh, I want that so badly. And I get it, and it takes away from my ability to get what I really, 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 really want. And again, many, many I'm... I don't think I'm guessing here, but a lot of people at a certain point, you don't just hate the thing that you do. My guess is a lot of people have, have a, they've arrived at that point or they're one step away from, I hate the person in the mirror. It's not just, I hate what I do, but I've hated what I do for so long now, I'm beginning to hate myself. Maybe you know somebody like that. The thing that, they, that has them, that has enslaved them, they've come to a point where they hate themselves because they can't defeat that thing, whatever it is. So I want to stop at this point. I want to have some prayer. I don't know what it is in your life that has you enslaved. Maybe you know somebody and you are praying desperately for them to escape that slavery, whatever it is that thing is. Um, but what I'd like you to do this morning, it, it, during this time right now, again, our worship band's going to come back up. But I want you to give this issue over whatever it is. I want you to just kind of give it to God this morning. We're going to bow our heads, and, and, and I just need you to say, hey, um, God, uh, Pastor Jerry says that if I lay this at your feet, it's not going to go away entirely. It's not going to go away entirely, but um, it's, 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 I'm getting to the point where I hate myself. And I know you love me, and so I know that can't exist at the same time. And, and I'm tired of hating myself um, because I, I can't get a leg up on this, whatever it is that's going on in your life. So right now, just, just stop everything. Would you all bow your heads? Father, we are living in a broken world, um, and we're a part of that broken world. We're broke too. So, Father, this morning, you have an answer in your word um, that can lead us to, a, to victory, to, to being fixed. Lord, and it's not going to be more self-discipline. We're not going to beat ourselves up, Lord, but you, you have a plan. 
And it's clearly spelled out in your word, Lord. And we're going to dig into that this morning. And, and Father, as I re- reveal this plan of yours to these folks in this room, I just pray by the power of your spirit that they would embrace it by faith. They don't know if it's going to be true or not until they try it. But just on a big leap of faith this morning that they would step out and try Jesus. So, Father, that's where we're going today. We, we want every person in this room to embrace your son. And I know for a fact that that's what you want to So, Father, we ask for the power of your spirit. We already know he's in this place because we're in this place. We ask for power. We we, we just ask for guidance and power um, and mercy and forgiveness for people in this room who haven't been able to give themselves mercy or forgiveness. Father, impress upon them that you've forgiven them. They need to forgive themselves too. This thing that they're battling, this isn't a little thing. Even though their friends may tease them, they may say, why can't you beat that? Father, you know the struggle that they're having. You know the reality of that struggle. So this morning, again, by the power of your spirit, give them power. Give them your son. Make it somehow that they are begging for your son. I don't know if we got to, if they've got to hit rock bottom or what, but that'd be great if we could avoid that, Father. That this morning that they would just make the first in a series of of choices that I'll live for you today. Thank you, Father, for everybody here at Richland Church of the Nazarene who's come forward this morning to be a part of this worship service. And again, thank you for your spirit. And I want to thank you in advance right now for every life that you're going to begin to change and transform this morning, January 5, 2020. Life is going to get clear for somebody in this room, maybe a bunch of people. And so, Father, we celebrate that right now. And we thank you in advance for this incredible thing that you've already begun to do because you never stop and you're always out in front of us. And we can breathe a sigh of relief because we know the end of the story. Thank you, Father. Your son's name I pray. Amen. All right. Hey, we're kind of discovering, trying to get a grip on what it is that we really, really, really want. And if you've been struggling with a habit or an addiction, or if you want to get a new leaf turned over, round that corner, get that leg up this year, I need you to listen very closely to the words of Paul. Right? Um... Paul's relatable, right? You, you read about Paul, and, and he's got a lot of funky quirks, right? He, he's, apparently, he's kind of a grump. He's got a little bit of a temper. He preaches too long. I mean, the list goes on and on. Like, like you can relate. I can relate to a guy named Paul. Jesus is kind of hard to relate to, right? Son of God, never made a mistake. But Paul, man, Paul's in my wheelhouse. That's, that's, that's where I live. Um, misinterpretations. He, he can't construct a sentence. I mean, I'm going to have to go to a different version in today's message um, because the way Paul constructs his sentences is like, no, it just doesn't work. All right, so I'm going to get to that. Um, so again, um, this, guy, this guy is somebody we can relate to. And at some point in his life, Paul experienced what you're all experiencing or what maybe you've experienced in the past, that, that struggle that you have with what you want to do, you don't do, and what you hate to do, you end up doing. And why do we do that? It sounds like we're insane, 
Right? That sounds like a crazy person. And we would have to conclude that we all must be crazy if we continue to do what we don't want to do and we don't do what we want to do. We must, or we're broken, one of the two. We're, and I, I prefer the broken. Right? You can fix broken, but you can't fix crazy. I, I'm not a doctor. I shouldn't have said that probably. Okay. So Paul, Paul, in this passage in Romans chapter 7, if you want to bust open Bibles and make notes, if you got your phone, it's okay if you do that too. If you want to just look up on the screen behind me, that'll be the easiest thing for you to do. Um, he's been having an argument about the power of the law and where the law, what place does the law have in the new law of Christ? What do we do with the old law now that we have the law of Christ, the, the law of, of love and, and peace? What do, what do we... So he's had this argument and he's trying to explain to people that the law in and of itself is good, but sin perverts the law, right? Sin can pervert even the good thing that is the law. And he goes to great lengths to say that, hey, the law is good, but again, sin sneaks in. That's just the way sin is. It's, it's just sneaky. Sin sneaks in and just kind of wrecks the law. Um, so he's revealed this startling aspect of the law, how it's good on the one hand, but it can also actually enslave you if you're not really using it for the purpose that it was intended to be used for. He continues in verse 16. He basically says, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. So basically, um, let me, let me uh, hit that next slide there. This is um, uh, Eugene Peterson. This is how he says that phrase because that phrase was kind of loaded. It says, so if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, right? Becomes necessary that God's command is necessary, right? So the argument was, well, can't we just naturally figure out what's right to do? Can't we just naturally? And Paul goes to great lengths and says, no, you really, you really can't do that. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But catch that last line. But I need something more. What he's saying is I am the best of the best of the Pharisees. I knew all the laws. I, I, if anybody could keep all the laws, it was me and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I'm the best of the best. And I simply couldn't do it. I need something more. Again, the law is good because it identifies what is bad, right? Without the law, we wouldn't know what is bad. And he, and he gives an example. He says, if it weren't for the law, I wouldn't know what coveting is. And you think, well, that's crazy. But then he goes on and says, if I didn't know that coveting was bad, I would make coveting a virtue. And there are many societies in our world that have made coveting a virtue. It's called dog-eat-dog. You eat the weak. That, that's what makes your culture stronger. There are cultures that believe that and that bought into that before Christ entered their culture. The weak are to be done away with. If you want something and you're strong enough to take it, that's called coveting, then it belongs to you because... The world belongs to the powerful. So that you can make something good into something quite ugly. And so he says the law is good. It points out if I've been left to myself, I would have made coveting, right, a good thing. Hey, everybody covet. Hey. But thank you, Lord, for showing me that that's not, that's not right. So the law in and of itself is good. But here's what the problem with the law. It identifies stuff. It identifies what you didn't know about before. That was the problem with the tree of life of good and evil. God didn't want us to know certain things because we weren't equipped to handle the truth. You've heard that phrase from that crazy movie. You can't handle the truth. We can't handle the truth. Right? We get wrecked every time. And this is the example I like giving. It's kind of it's a little off center. But what happens to a young person who looks at pornography? 
They should not have seen what they saw because it wrecks future sexual relationships. They get images in their mind, and they start playing those images over and over again. And it was God's intention they should never have had that image in their mind. So the law identifies some things, and then you got what's kind of tightly hooked into that is forbidden fruit, right? You tell me I can't look in that closet, guess what? (laughs) I'm going to look in that closet. That's the only thing I'm going to think about for the rest of the day. What's mom got in the closet? Right? Mom told me not to look in the closet. God told me not to eat that fruit. Well, why? Is God hiding something? Right? So we, we've got that. So, so the law can be a problem. If we don't just look at it for what it was meant to do is to point out what's wrong. It just becomes this huge um, issue. So, um, again, there's something fundamentally wrong with me. I need something more. This is Paul's own words. Incredibly vulnerable here. Even with all my knowledge, I can't do it. In effect, he says, he doesn't say this, but, but I need a better nature. He doesn't say that, but we're going to arrive at that, that place, right? He wants a better nature. He continues, this is in verse 17. It says, for I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. This is again Eugene Peterson's. A lot of you in your NIVs, you probably read this. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, who sin, um, but it's the sin living in me. That sounds like a cop-out, doesn't it? It's like, that's not my fault. It's the devil's fault. That's literally what he's saying, but he's really saying it's true. He's drawn a distinction between himself, like he's saying, look, I love God. I hate sin. But if you looked at my life, you might conclude the opposite. Because I keep doing these crazy, stupid things. But don't believe what I'm doing because I love God. I love God. But if you look at my life, you might conclude that I love to sin more. I don't. It's just this thing in me, this, this, this thing that I can't, with more information, with better information, with more discipline, I can't defeat this brokenness. It's, it's simply a part of me. This is what Paul's driving at. I need a better nature. Then in verse 18, he says this. He just, he just lays it out. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it. But I can't do it. I can, oh, right, but, but we were talking about that yesterday morning. There's a lot of good things I think of doing late in the evening. But when morning rolls around, <laughs> not happening. We had a couple young boys that didn't make it to the men's breakfast. They had good intentions the night before. They willed it, but they simply, dad couldn't get them out of bed. That's what happened. All right. So here's what Paul is saying. Chasing after short-term wants that feel so easy and so natural, keep getting in the way of what what I ultimately want. Here's his point. What we naturally want often conflicts with what we ultimately want. Again, this is how sin works. This is the deceptiveness of sin. Many times what we ultimately value and want just feel so unnatural. Let me give you some examples. How many of you go to the gym and work out? Doesn't feel very natural. My, myself, for the two weeks I did that in my life, I got up every morning and I did not want to go to that. It felt so, what felt natural was staying in bed. What feels incredibly unnatural is dieting. What feels incredibly unnatural is saving money. 
What feels incredibly unnatural is being generous. What feels incredibly unnatural is listening instead of talking. These are all just my issues. You got all your issues. There are a lot of things I'm thinking that you're thinking, man, there's a lot of things that are totally unnatural that I know I need to do. So use that as your barometer of what is good and what is bad and is is just crazy. What's ultimate and what's important? No. What you naturally want to do more often than not, now this is very carefully, more often than not, you all think, oh, nature, oh, you know, we're just, God's nature and nature's God, you know, our founding fathers got all off onto that. and, And, but if you think about it, and again, somebody in Sunday school reminded me of this morning, wild kingdom. Okay, nature is beautiful from a distance. But up close, nature is brutal and ugly, right? How many of you have seen those nature shows, right? I only watch them because they're so brutal. I don't know. I got this weird thing in me. I, I'm not there to see the beauty. I'm, I'm, I'm there to see nature, right? I just, I don't know why. I, I, a guy, I'm, I'm a guy, maybe. I, I don't know. Um, but what, what feels natural is more often than not ugly and brutal, Take a look at those nature shows for an eyes wide open moment, right? Here's, here's, here's humanity a natural. Is that the right word? Right? This, this is what feels natural for us. Hit that next slide there. This is what people, this is, well, what I feel about, I know I'm married, but this feeling that I have in my heart, it's got to be from God. So I'm going to divorce my wife and I'm going to marry this new woman here. Right? That feels so natural. It feels so right. These are the things, this is, this is humanity acting naturally. Right? And this is a blueprint for a disaster in every single area of your life. We were talking about proofs of God in Sunday school. And, and there was one person, a William, somebody, who decided that the greatest proof for God is a life without God. Something like that. It'll, I think you got the, the, the gist of that. Doing what feels natural is just a blueprint for disaster. Here's what Paul says in another letter. He wrote to uh, a bunch of churches in a region called Galatia, modern-day Turkey. Um, In our Bibles, it's called the the letter to the Galatians. It's not a single city. It's not a single church. It's a region. But anyway, he says this in chapter 5, verse 19. says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. I just kind of want to stop for a moment on that word flesh. That's your sinful nature. In some of your versions, you'll even see that. It's your sinful nature, right? And if we're, again, if we're honest with ourselves, we would admit that we've got this sinful nature. Again, it's not about more information. More information is not going to get a leg up on that sinful nature, right? More discipline is not going to help you with that habit, that addiction, that whatever that you're fighting. That's not going to help. That's not going to help because your sinful nature is ruling you. It's winning the battle. And within every one of us, there's that battle that's raging, between our sinful nature and what God created us and designed us to be about. So we've all got this battle going on. Fundamentally, we're, we're broken. Again, we don't like to say it. It's not politically correct. But here's the proof on the wall behind me. I'm going to just show this again, Romans 7. If you've ever felt this, you've got a sin problem. You have a sinful nature. I know you're, the, I don't have any sinful nature. I'm a good person. Right? If, this is, if you've ever felt this, then just stop denying it. Just stop it. You're being silly. And everyone around you knows that you're being silly. You have a sinful nature. So again, in case you're wondering, what would happen if I gave into this sinful nature and I did just what, whatever it feels naturally? This is what Paul says is going to happen. 
just, just kind of ponder that for a second. Ooh, boy, what do I want for my kids? What do I want in my life? This is what I want. No, this isn't what you dream about. This isn't what you want. This isn't what, what God wants in your life. This is the disaster that will happen. Hit that next slide. Hit another one because it doesn't stop. Factions and envy and drunkenness and orgies and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. All these things, they come so naturally, they'll never ever get us what we ultimately value and for what we want. So for everybody present here this morning, I'm going to land this plane now. Ready? For everybody present, there's this battle that's raging. And again, you don't need more information. You don't need more discipline. But I want to tell you this morning, it is a battle that can be won. And it has been won by many, many, many people who will testify that the battle can be won. But it's not about more information. It's not about more discipline, being more self-disciplined. That wasn't, that wasn't the answer, and they will testify to that. I want to introduce you this morning to a way to embrace the valuable over the natural. A way to get what we really, really, really want and what we are created and designed for. I want to close with a passage from James's brother. And again, Paul is a very believable guy. You can relate to him. I find it easy to relate to Jesus's brother, right? This guy grew up with Jesus, arrived at the conclusion that Jesus was crazy, and then Jesus rose from the dead. Changed everything for James. James like, all right, <laughs> bow down to my brother. If you can raise yourself from the dead, <laughs> James isn't that dumb. He's a smart guy. So I want to close with this passage. And again, I, I, I like this passage because if you're feeling like in this room right now that maybe, and I know it's easy to go to this place when you have a habit, you have an addiction, you have something you're fighting. Maybe it's just a, maybe it's not that big deal of it all. Maybe I'm just an incredibly weak person. Maybe what all my friends are saying that I should have been able to beat this long ago. Maybe they're right. Maybe this struggle is all about me and I'm just a weak person. I want you to take a look at this passage from James because he, he, he draws a word picture that really, really describes and you'll recognize it right away. Describes your dilemma. James 1 Verse 14, it says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away. Just picture that for a moment. It's not like you went out and said, oh, I, I want to commit adultery today. Or I want to go rob somebody. I want to do this. No, no, nobody goes out and wants to do that. But, but because we're broken, these, he dragged me away. She dragged me away. That business opportunity dragged me away. I and mean, you just, just feel the visceral of that imagery that you're, you're, you're being kicking and screaming. Listen, my guess is nobody in this room wanted the addiction that you're fighting right now. Nobody wanted the bad habit that you got. You desperately, if you had known that this is where it would have ended up, you probably would have never taken that first step. But now you're here. Now you're kind of stuck. You're stuck with something that you'd really like to be getting rid of. And self-discipline, more information isn't going to do it. It's not trivial what you're facing. And then he says this, and we all know this is true. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Unless we can get a grip on our appetites for the now. I want it now. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do it right now. If we don't get a grip on these things, lots of stuff around us will die. Relationships will die. Opportunities will die. 
your future literally will die in front of your very eyes. Sin undermines you. Sin robs you of these things. It takes away your future. It takes away the things that you really, really value and that you really, really want. Sin introduces you to regret. But James concludes... He, he concludes at the very same place that Paul concluded, and the same place that Jesus concluded, and the same place that Jesus spent his whole ministry concluding for us, pointing us towards, making us see, don't be deceived. Hit that next slide there. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. If you're single and you're thinking, don't be deceived. If you're in a married relationship and you're thinking ah, the grass is don't be deceived if you're a business person and you're looking at a business opportunity that's a little shady don't be deceived don't be deceived that desire will give birth to sin and that sin will give birth to death and something around you will die and it's probably the thing that you really you really wanted all along and you just, you robbed yourself of it. Don't be deceived. If you're bored with life, don't be deceived. The silly things that are out there that are legal right now, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't trade the ultimate for the immediate. Don't trade valuable for what just feels natural. This has been the message of Christ from the very beginning. Don't be deceived. The things that you see around you, they're so short term. They will rust. Your little brother will get a hold of them and wreck it. You, that's just what will happen. But the things in heaven, nobody can take those things from you. The world will not help you. In fact, it will push these important things further and further to the periphery, to the shadows. And you'll need to find something in your life. You'll need to build something into your life that can pull those important, valuable things back out of the shadows and put them where they belong, front and center in your life. And this is where Jesus comes in. This is where Jesus, he constantly points us to the ultimate and the valuable. And he constantly points to the temporary and the immediate and says, no, no, that's false. That's, that's a lie. Popular misconception is that God is a buzzkill, but that's not true. Christianity is God the Father stepping into our human history to point us towards something greater than our, listen very carefully, our broken intuitions right up there and our misguided inclinations. Without God's word, that's where we would be. We would conclude and we would have intuition and we would just make a mess of things. Have you ever read the book of Judges? Every man did what was right in his own eyes. What a mess that was. We can't be trusted because what? We're broken. We need God's word. And ultimately, more important than God's word is we need God himself. And he sent his son for that very, very purpose. And this morning, we're going to share what, what God did that nobody else could do for us. What God did so that we could finally get a leg up. So that we could finally get ahead of it. So that we could finally taste victory. Because trying harder and harder and harder and harder, that sinful nature in us, it always won. But Christ is saying, and I'm saying to you this morning, as we share communion this morning, 
Christ said, as you take me in and you constantly fill yourself with my spirit, those temporary wants and those immediate things, they're going to be seen for what they are. They're going to be seen for the falseness. When you look at my love, my sacrificial love, everything else is going to pale in comparison. I can change your nature. And I can do that here this morning right now. Not me. This is God speaking. If you bring your, my son, Jesus Christ, into your life and you begin to fill yourself with the spirit of Christ, you're going to begin to see the valuable and the ultimate as what they truly are. And you're going to have the power and you're going to have the desire, actually, to go for them. That's an amen. Goodness gracious. Folks, have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week. Um, Enjoy your new nature. If, if this was new for you this morning and you accepted Christ, this, this is a big day. This is a big new day for you. Enjoy your freedoms.